This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUN-FM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch beverages, and by Bonded Lock and Key, Paul Bunyan Country's home for Liberty Safes. Well, today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we're checking in with Andy Try. He's a wildlife research biologist with the DNR. Andy uh, generally operates out of Grand Rapids, but obviously the whole world's turned upside down, Andy, and uh, it's different days. You're you're back down in the metro area. Yep, just temporarily. I'm uh, hunkered down for COVID-19 with my folks, and uh, it'll be just like old times. So you're a wildlife research biologist, uh, and uh, one of the topics, we're well, the main topic we're going to discuss today is bears because something unusual, I guess, uh, has happened in the bear world uh, this past winter. Tell us about it. Yeah, you bet. So last fall, as you may remember, was pretty darn wet, and uh, not everybody was able to get their corn harvested in time um, before winter hit. And so... As folks are now trying to harvest their corn um, before the fields are now are, are again too muddy to finish the harvest, um, they're bumping a few more bears than they would expect, um, and that sometimes has has caused a few accidents with combines and that sort of thing, um, rendering cubs orphaned or bears wounded. And uh, so. The reason this is mostly happening is because corn is actually a pretty good uh, place for bears to den up. Um, Usually it's harvested by the time den time comes around, but um, inevitably we'll get a few reports every year in the fall of bears being chased out of corn as it's being harvested. Um, But in this case, anecdotally, we're hearing an increase in the number of bears being kicked out of corn, probably because it's just really good and dense. It's nice screening cover from the wind. And really, you can you're not going to be disturbed throughout the winter. But um, bears are still kind of hanging around in their den area, and then they're they're fixing to get up and leave in the next probably in the next week or so. And what is the biggest concern that uh, not unknowingly uh, you're going to disturb a bear and possibly get injured? Uh, you're if you're out there with your equipment, you might hurt a bear. Combination of both. What are we concerned about? Uh, well, the main, the main concern is is mostly for the bears. And so, I mean, in general, if a bear gets flushed this time of year, chances are it'll be fine. Um, it'll either return to the, that nest bowl that it's in in the cornfield and be out in the open, or it's going to move. Um, the tricky part is if the female has cubs. And so if that does happen and the bears are left alone and she's not injured, um, the farmer can keep on harvesting and then just leave the area, leave everything alone, and the bear will come back and pick up the cubs, kind of like a cat. mother cat will grab the kittens by the scruff and haul them off to a new spot. Um, but if mom happens to be injured or um, gets spooked multiple times because there's interest in saying, hey, what did I spook out of here? Oh, gosh, there's cubs. Um, sometimes she doesn't come back to claim both of them, and then we end up in the situation, which we were about a week and a half ago, where there's a an influx of cubs to our um, licensed rehabilitator down in Garrison, Wild and Free, and we just want to make sure that they don't get overwhelmed um, feeding all those babies, and uh, folks are just aware that the, they may spook bears out of the corn. Okay. 
was this something that uh, that you would have anticipated with the, with the wet fall and all the cornfields up? In hindsight, I probably should have. Um, we, we get every few years we'll get a really wet year, and, and standing corn actually is not a bad, even a bad food source if farmers still can't get to it in April for bears. Um, but uh, it seems like it's it's a a different year this year. It was just wetter, way wetter than I would have expected, and there was a ton more corn than I expected. In some places, they some of them they got less than half of it out, especially in the northwestern part of the state. So, like if you're driving from oh somewhere from like um, the the bottom half of the state uh, up to the north. You're going to hit a line somewhere in there. I'm not quite sure if it's past Fergus or if it's up near the White Earth Reservation, but somewhere along that line, you're going to hit it, and then all of a sudden you look around, and there's tons and tons of standing corn, or at least there was a week and a half ago. A lot of farmers have taken it off since then. Uh, full disclosure, I heard your interview last uh, weekend on uh, Fan Outdoors, and, and I was really interested, in the as you were discussing with them, that uh, where bears actually den up is far different than what we think of. You know, we, we tend to think of the caves, and that's not really what they do here. That's exactly right. And so really the only place that we find bears in caves in the state uh, was in our research area up in Voyagers National Park where there's a lot of rock um, rock openings that they'll, they'll bend in, which actually makes the field work quite a lot harder because you have to figure out how to go around corners and, and uh, anesthetize the bears and it's a, or, like, they may be in a crack in a rock 20 feet up, and so you have to figure out how to get up to them and anesthetize them and then pull them out. And then, and then the trickiest part is getting them back. But um, anyhow, the, what we see for bear dens here in the state are uh, excavated. So that's anything that's underground. Usually that's a, a big hole. Um, they use brush. They use um, roots or tip-ups. And then um, the, the most the coolest thing I think about Minnesota bear dens is, is the nest den. And so it's much more common in areas that are, are pretty wet. And so if you imagine like a like big bird's nest on Sesame Street, that's kind of what we're looking at. It's basically a big old nest made out of vegetation. It can be cattails. It can be grass. It can be corn stalks. Um, it can be a variety of things. But they'll be above ground all winter. It's pretty neat. Hmm. Um, and, and I think you, you touched on this earlier, but, uh, when can we expect the bears to start, uh, stretching and waking up? Right. So it's, it's, uh, the stretching and waking up part comes earlier. So that's mid-March, right about now, the bears are kind of leaving the hole, sitting at the edge, uh, stretching around, getting their, their metabolism is really slowly starting to crank up. They're doing, stretching their muscles and, starting to come out of hibernation, but they won't leave the den area some until somewhere around the 15th of April. And so we still have a couple weeks before folks need to worry about taking their bird feeders down and, and um, pulling their trash in, keeping it secure, just like basic bear, bear country uh, coexistence tip. Okay. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors.
Open your country outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages and Bonded Lock and Key. Don't forget to check us out on the web, kbunsportsradio.com. Click on Paul Bunyan Country. We're also on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And, of course, we're podcastable wherever you get your podcasts. We are talking bears with Andy Try. He is a wildlife researcher with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Andy, I just heard a report today that, in fact, a bear's already been in the bird feeders uh, somewhere in Becker County. I'm I'm not surprised, given some of the big melt-offs that we've had. Um, some bears, the, the data I gave is kind of an average. Mm-hmm. So if you take it as an average, half the bears will be uh, away from the den before that and the half after. But, um, yeah, in general, the, the bulk of the, the issues start in April. But um, it's not a bad idea if you want to reduce the possibility of a bear um, causing any nuisance around your place. Start looking around your yard, pull in your bird feeders, secure your trash, make sure there's any sort of attractants that, um, if you want to reduce bears at your property, make sure you pull in your attractants before they wake up, and it'll help a lot. Well, some people in this uh, new world we live in, we're so uh, starved for uh, for some companionship, we might want to see a few bears in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, and it's, I, I mean, I come from a, a long family of bird feeders. seems like everybody's feeding birds. And even you go into your local home goods store and the pictures that they have, a house is not complete unless it's got a birdhouse and a bird feeder. And so um, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, you just have to be aware that if you're feeding birds, chances are you're also feeding bears. Like in the fall, a seven-pound feeder, standard tube feeder, is going to have about 20,000 calories. And so it's a no-brainer for a bear to hit that and slurp every last one of those up. Um, where were the uh, reports of the bears in the cornfields at? So the the few cubs that were orphaned that ended up at Wild and Free, both of them are in the northwestern part of the state. Uh, one was up near Stonequist, and another was up near uh, somewhere between Agassiz Wildlife Refuge and uh, Thief Lake. Um, the state WMA. Last year, we had a very, very busy year for bears in towns, bears uh, kind of all over the place. Um, what spurred that, and, and what kind of conditions would cause that to happen again this year? Sure. Well, the, the bulk of bears in town is inevitably caused by um, human attractants. And so what I mean by attractants is bird seed, trash, dog food, that sort of thing. And you have to keep those secured. Um, the old the old way of thinking was that bears were just in northern Minnesota, but we have, we have resident bears as far south as Anoka County. Um, there's a few bears in the far southeastern part of the state, Houston County. And then basically as you approach the Red River Valley in the northwest, um, that's kind of the edge. We have a few bears in North Dakota, but the the vast majority of Minnesota, aside from the the, the hard um, the core of the metro area, and then the far southwestern part of the state, um, it's bear country. And so, um, it'll depend on on how many bears you have in the area, and more likely how many attractants that you actually have. Like, we'll get a, a spate of calls. And you might get five or ten calls in the course of a couple days in the same area. That could just be one bear. It could be multiple bears. But usually it's just one bear that causes a whole bunch of ruckus. And so it's just a few bears causing trouble. 
Um, we are statewide. We're trying to grow the bear population. Um, we're at kind of a, um, to give some context, in the 80s, we were about 10,000 bears statewide. We increased to about 20, 25,000 bears by the, um, by the end of the 90s and the early 2000s. And then that, at that point, there, there just were too many bears for folks to tolerate. And so we gave out a lot of permits, and we were really successful at, at reducing the bear population. Unfortunately, we were too successful, and it dropped the population by 50%. Um, over a 10- to 15-year period, and we kind of hit the bottom right about 2000, 2010 to 2012. And so we've slowly been trying to increase the population at a slow rate and um, build the resiliency in the population so that if we have multiple bad food years in a row, it's not going to wipe out wipe out the bear population. We have to really, really cut permits back. So it's... The bear population will increase probably faster in areas with uh, abundant ag and, and oak forest, but um, statewide things are just slowly starting to creep back up. So it's probably an issue of just attractants in town that, that had a lot of issues. Um, and then the other thing that may happen um, that happened last year is that essentially the we were coming off of 2018, which was one of the best bear food years on record. It's the top three since 1984. And so, um, basically, if you draw a line from Roseau down to Sandstone along that transition zone country, the acorn production in that area, as well as the other foods, was just phenomenal. And so, it was a bumper crop food year in 18. Um, lots of cubs were produced. Uh, 2019, it, uh, the, the, the production from 18 stressed out the trees, and there wasn't as much food as in 18. And then in addition, due to the way that the winter was, um, it delayed berry production almost three weeks in a lot of bear country. And so you had hungrier bears, and they just they just took the temptation in town to, mm-hmm. to hit bird feeders and, and trash and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, well, it, it just it sounds like, you know, and you were just talking about the populations, but I know that uh, we have a, a lot of bear hunters up here, and it seems to me we have a pretty good healthy population of bear, and uh, bear hunters are usually uh, pretty enthusiastic about what we have going on up here in, in, in the northern part of the state. Absolutely, and it's it, our management goal wasn't intentional, intentional to do this, but it's just a byproduct of less folks competing and um, the, the way that bear hunting works with baiting. And so if you cut the number of permits back, uh, Essentially, there's less people competing over the same bears, and the hunters that are there have a higher success rate. For example, in 2019, um, almost all the areas in the quota zone had uh, about 50% success rate, and that's some of the highest in the nation, and actually in in all of North America. Um, I can't think of another situation where your your odds of waiting that long are are greater than 50-50, like hunting elk out west or something like that. So it's really incredible. And the, the reports that we've heard from the hunters are that the quality of the hunt is really great. Um, they don't have as much time to hunt as they used to in the olden, in the, the, the peak of the bear population in the 90s. And so they're, they're appreciative of uh, their ability to kind of 
see multiple bears at their baits, whether with their eyes or with trail cameras, and the success rates are pretty incredible. The only trade-off is folks have to wait a little longer. Well, we've been mainly talking bears, but as a wildlife research biologist, what are some of the other projects you find yourself involved with, Andy? Well, in in general, I'm I'm strictly working with bears. Um, I I came from the game bird world. I I got my master's working on bobwhite quail down in South Texas, and then I uh, got my PhD out east working on urban bear problems, and then ended up here with the state. So I've been pretty much working solely on bears since about. 2010. Um, but the the way that the DNR works is we all end up helping out each other out on projects as needed. So I've been able to um, get out of the barrel a little bit and work down on uh, and help out the wildlife health team uh, sample lymph nodes for the CWB checks and, and that sort of thing. But primarily it's just bears that I work on. Okay. Uh, and again, uh, the thing to be concerned about if you're a farmer with all the standing corn, there might be some bears denning in there, and you just need to keep your eye open and be uh, be careful when you get out there to to take care of it, right? Right. It's it's not a farmer safety thing. It's more of a just be cautious that there may be bears in your corn, and if you happen to flush one, just keep going, leave the area, and, and let it settle down. Andy, if people have any questions, would like information, uh, how can they best find that? You bet. So uh, for general bear information or bear hunting information, they can go right to our uh, DNR webpage. Otherwise, if they have questions about bears in general, they can call the, uh, the info center line that's um, on the website or on the back of their hunting license. And then if, they're, if they have persistent bear issues after they've removed um, remove their attractants and, and try everything else. They can give our local wildlife, your local area wildlife manager a call, and they've got some tools that might be able to help. Andy Try is a wildlife research biologist with the DNR, normally uh, operating out of Grand Rapids, but uh, not these days. But still available to uh, to help us and talk with us. Andy, thanks for taking time and sharing that information with us today. We really appreciate it. You bet, anytime. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8.